Welcome to the Talent Equals podcast. Great to have you back. Sorry you've had a bit of a gap between the last episode, but it's one worth waiting for. And today we're going to be continuing the theme of tokenomics. The most entertaining part of the crazy crypto world is NFTs. So today's episode is all about NFTs. Now, the NFT community is full of wild and wonderful projects covering financial services, video games, entertainment, rainforest protection, music, and anything else all of the wonderfully creative people in crypto can think of. And what I wanted to do is try and give you an example of someone who has come from a real life and been able to create an NFT project and artwork all on their own and showing how much the NFT world is open to just normal people. Today's guest is Brandon, and Brandon is a hugely talented artist who not only has created something called One of One Art, which is being bought by many investors in the space, but he's also gone on to create his very first NFT project called Dream City. Brandon is going to explain to us all about the process of taking real-world art and tokenizing it and creating NFT and then selling it. He'll also explain the reality of creating the Dream City project and what was easy about it, what was difficult about it, and also at the time of recording the project, the big unknowns. Now, I will let you know into a little a little secret, folks, that the project has gone on to sell out and is experiencing quite some success. So really is one to check out. And I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. And so without further ado, I give you Brandon of Dream City. Hi, Brandon. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's awesome. Yeah. Hey, Brandon, I sort of got to know you through the uh, world of NFTs and uh, Discord and um, <laughs> right. the sort of pseudonymous nature of what NFTs are in the Solana space. And, you know, from um, immediately getting to know your art, actually kind of loved the work that you're doing art-wise and then following that. And so getting you on the show has been great because we're doing this series on exploring the world of Web3 and how it works, how it can impact the world and how it can improve the things that we do. So I'm hoping you as an NFT artist, and I think it's fair to call <laughs> you that, can maybe just open the curtain and explain to myself <laughs> and so many of our listeners a bit about like, your journey into it, how you create NFTs, how you've come to like form communities and just all of the experiences you've had around it. So yeah, I'm, I'm super uh, excited to sort of listen and learn to you yeah. from that. So sort of leading off into that, really, I mean, maybe let's start with the good old origin story. Right. <laughs> so how the hell did you get into NFTs? Tell us about that. I mean, I've been into like crypto and stuff like that for, I mean, since Bitcoin kind of like came around, you know, not heavily, you know, but just enough to like be dangerous, you know, and that kind of thing. And, you know, the past, you know, couple of years, NFTs, people probably hear about them like two or three times a day. They're probably sick of hearing about NFTs at this point, but I really do think it's something that's going to change the digital art world if it already hasn't. And, you know, even up to probably like nine months ago, some people like trying to push me into it, you know, and get me into it, but it was on like the Ethereum blockchain. And it was something that I was kind of, I was interested in, but I kept hearing, you know, kind of all the typical things that you hear about NFTs, all the the bad things, you know, about like environmental damage and, and stuff like that. And so I kind of, you know, put me off of it for a bit. And then recently a friend of mine, uh, a close friend of mine started working at Metaplex, which is, 
if you're unfamiliar with Solana, it's kind of the, I would say it's the standard for like metadata on, uh, for NFTs on the Solana blockchain. And he kind of told me all the benefits of like, you know, you've heard a lot, if you probably, maybe you've heard a lot about like Ethereum too, and like how it's supposed to, you know, solve for those environmental impacts and things like that. And basically he pitched it to me as Solana is already doing all of those things. It's basically what Ethereum 2.0 is supposed to be promised and it's doing it and it's doing it very quickly. And so he said, you know, do your own research, you know, not financial advice, do your own research and, you know, check it out. And so that's kind of like where it started, um, you know, just being naturally curious and, you know, my nine to five, I'm a, I'm a user experience designer, you know, product designer. And so naturally I just kind of jumped into it and kind of wanted to see what it was all about. And that's really where the journey began. You know, I've, I've been drawing since I could hold a pencil, you know? <laughs> and so when he told me about all this, I was just like, okay, yeah, I gotta, I gotta check it out. I gotta get in there and, and see what it's all about. So, I mean, there's a few terms there that people, I mean, there are some, I hope some crypto natives listening to this, but there will be many who aren't. <laughs> and um, for those who aren't, you know, Ethereum is by far the biggest chain for right. NFTs. It's the in, enormous. I think it has something like 85% of the market. If I get that one right, I think it was the last time I checked it out. And it's, is as you've said, but the gas fees are incredibly expensive. Right. And the gas fees are effectively the transaction fees to buy. It can be, you know, a hundred dollars, hundred fifty dollars to to just do the transaction, right? Then there's the whole timing too of that, you know, like it it fluctuates with the market as well. So it's nuts. <laughs> it, it, but it has advantages because of the sheer volume of money that goes into Ethereum. And Ethereum, as you said, is trying to deal with its issues around this scaling component and proof of stake and and Solana though is proof of history, right? So it's kind of has a different scaling mechanism, which is much faster. And it's you actually, you and I were drawn to Solana to be involved in NFTs for the same reason. And any listener out there is because effectively when you mint or when you buy your NFT, it costs near to nothing. I mean, we're, we're talking- Dollars maybe at the most. You know, maybe, <laughs> yeah. It's absolutely like very, very small transaction costs to actually do the transaction. So, so if I understand it, you had a friend who's working in that area. You've been an artist for a long time so how do you go though from your friend saying hey you know you should come and do something on solana like um <laughs> you know you've got these sketches how do you actually go from there though to an <laughs> nft because that's what people are thinking oh man because i first knew you as a what we call a one-off one-on-one right. or a limited collection artist right so maybe you want to explain what that is and like, <laughs> yeah and what, how you first got into it yeah i mean uh, i'm totally empathetic to everybody who comes into nfts and just has so many questions because yeah it's a it's a ton to unpack um you know from jargon to like how technical it can be so yeah a, a one-of-one artist is basically you know somebody who creates it's exactly as it sounds you know they're creating one edition of one piece of art so people think of nfts as like unique and immutable and stuff like that and this is like literally like if you just created one painting and put it out there and that was you know that was it that was like the supply versus something like limited editions which come into play of like i guess a way to think of it is like prints you know like uh one of 50 you know maybe somebody does a limited print run you know as posters or something and uh you know that would be more of like the additions and things like that, which I've done a little bit of that as well. It's just less popular on, um, well, both Ethereum and Solana. I think there are other chains that, you know, people love that. So, but yeah, that's kind of 
to kind of summarize some of the things that I've I've been working on. So let's let's go. Let's let's um, if you don't mind doing this with me, like the actual process. Did you have somebody guiding you through technically, and how'd you go from like the piece of artwork to the computer to the? To, no, no. <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> There's literally, it's like, there's no tutorials. There's no like, yeah, it's, it's kind of trial and error. And, and luckily, like you said, the, the gas fees, you know, to mint something on Solana are really low. So, you know, if you screw up, you're, you're only out maybe a couple of dollars, you know, instead of like hundreds, you know, or if you, if I've done this before, I've uploaded the wrong piece of art and I'm like, oh no, I have to burn that now. And, you know, uh, like re-upload another one. If you did that on Ethereum, you'd be out a couple hundred dollars each time and you're just, you know, you're in the hole, you know, maybe $400 right out of the gate. So yeah, it's, it's incredibly difficult. And, you know, like I said, being a user experience designer, I'm just like, oh my gosh, there's so many improvements that could, that could take place on all these platforms, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah. yeah, there's, there's a few like, um, platforms you know specifically on solana and i there's like OpenSea on ethereum but on solana the kind of like primary i would say to to get people started would be holoplex and it's it's kind of like setting up your own storefront in a way it's kind of the best way i can uh, explain it it would be like a shopify you know maybe something of that experience if you're familiar with like any retail type of thing so yeah you would go there you would set up your storefront and it kind of walks you through, but I, I still think there's just a lot of things that an artist would have to know or research to be able to go through that process. So you're, you know, uploading your, your artwork, you're, you know, giving it a name, a description, potentially even a collection name. You have to set up your royalties. Yeah, there, there's just a whole slew of things that you have to go through to get to that point. And it can be incredibly difficult. And every platform, while similar, has their own kind of nuances as well. So there's also exchange mm. art, exchange.art, which is another platform, but it mostly focuses on collections, which is kind of a weird thing on Solana. I think um, there's a lot of like parallels to like the real art world of people like launching galleries and things like that. But yeah, exchange art is another one where you would, you know, go have a collection of like maybe, I don't know, seven pieces or something or 10 pieces of artwork that are all kind of have like a central theme or something. And then you would upload and mint that to that collection, which is really, I, I think they're doing something crazy there. <laughs> yeah. Well, as a complete newbie, I listen to that and go, well, I think I could probably handle that. Like, um, yeah. you know, you're <laughs> yeah. having a system where you can upload your art. But so what I hear in that, it's not impenetrable, it's doable, right? So any artist out there who's thinking about doing something. Yeah. And I think what for me, you know, like, and this is like a very strange, I guess, I don't know. Uh, like I've been around for a while. I'm, I'm 40 years old. I've been designing interactive experiences and things like that since I was 20. Around 2000 is when I got into designing websites and mobile apps and stuff, you know, all that stuff, you know, that's kind of where I, I got into the business of this. And then it reminds me a lot of that time. There's a lot of like, and it's the same energy, you know, and I think what is like very similar about that time is if you just ask somebody, if you go on Twitter and you follow a couple people that are in that space and you just ask, people are incredibly kind. They'll walk you through it. I've never reached out to anybody and they're like, no, absolutely not. I can't help you like figure it out yourself. Good luck. You know, just good, good ridden. <laughs> Every, you know, everybody's like super nice, which is crazy. <laughs> like, yeah, like I can't think of too many experiences like that. It's, it's really, uh, I don't know, 
for lack of a better term, it's it's very wholesome, you know. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I think which may be surprising for a lot of people to hear about because this has affected crypto that there is a really good vibe around a lot of the communities. From what I've experienced, you know, being diving into the NFT area myself, is that because it's so new, it's kind of easy to make mistakes. There's so many new people constantly coming in that you know you can quickly figure out that you don't know much and that other people have been through that process very recently and so they're kind of happy to help you oh yeah generally speaking and i i i mean I'm, i've been quite surprised by that i mean and nicely surprised and i think also the good thing is maybe everyone listen out there is you can choose your community like you don't like someone <laughs> like you just go right? right you know you're like there's other places if you meet an asshole it's like see you later <laughs> right there's a million other places, discords or a million other twitter spaces you can be in right yeah it's crazy people should have permission to walk away from the things that they don't enjoy you know <laughs> like <laughs> like exactly. it's crazy there is no obligation folks to to deal with assholes in crypto world because yeah uh, and know, some people do can... it's maybe it's a trauma response of some kind or something I don't know. It's a lot to unpack there, but they're just like, I don't know. They like it. I, don't, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, that's very, very, very true. But you're right. I think, um, and, and that's one of the reasons I was drawn to, you know, yourself and your team who are putting together what you are working on, because I thought the, the, the kindness and welcomingness of everyone and to just get involved. And yeah, I, um, I must say that was like, the essence of what I've really enjoyed is that, you know, as someone you don't know, you're in the US, I'm in the UK, we could literally collaborate on your project, I could come and give you yeah. my advice. And if you like it, great. If you start to see that I've got something interesting to say, you can involve me. And that's what I loved about it. It just felt no, there was no, there was no status beyond like just like how good is your idea, how nice you're being, how polite you're being. Right. Um, yeah. And that was it. It was just like meeting normal people without any of the bullshit associated right. with, you know, kind of feeling like you have to be somebody you're not. That's what I quite liked about it. So an honesty, I suppose, is what I'm looking for, the word. Yeah. Well, I, I wonder without like trying to get too much of a love fest about NFTs, because it's not always like that. And it's difficult. And I thought maybe, you know, we could talk a little bit about like the sort of the process that you've gone through, maybe your art specifically, because how do you go to, and then, and then I want to sort of walk through going from one of one artist to selling your first stuff and talk to the, and then to what you've done lately with um, Dream City, right? Because that's the whole thing, right? Yeah. So people are thinking, okay, I put my oh, art yeah. up. But maybe just first of all, talk us through that because like, what is your art style? And then how did you find your first sale? And how did that all happen? Yeah, yeah, no problem. I can, I can definitely go through that. Um, you know, like it, I think to summarize, like my style is very like comic booky or like manga. It's very inspired by sequential art, which is just a fancy way of saying comic books, essentially. <laughs> For me, I, I traditionally like a lot of black and white art. Growing up, I did a ton of like just black and white pencil, like graphite work. That was kind of like my bread and butter. I, I went for like hyper realism and I literally saw Jim Lee's X-Men number one in a baseball card store when I was probably like, I don't know. 10 or 11 or something and i was just like what is this like i had never really seen comic books before and uh it just blew my mind you know <laughs> like my it just melted my brain where i was just like i was so i was like trying to imitate classic renaissance artists i was trying to like do you know the same level of work as like a da vinci right at like eight and nine years old and then to turn around and see like magneto like with all these superheroes it was just like 
what is, you know, like, like literally my brain could not handle it. And I just had to, uh, from there, I was just hooked, honestly, <laughs> it was crazy. So yeah, it's, it's very heavily inspired by comic art, um, you know, and yeah, just over the years, I've been so influenced by just artists from all over the world that, you know, are really into that same vibe, you know coming to think of like things like akira you know uh, ghost in the shell like japanese artist really um kind of because all of those are black and white you know manga and it just it was just a completely different way of looking at things and yeah just man what a kind of like reversal you know at that time where i was so focused on like getting every single value of you know somebody's eyeball or hand or something you know kind of like perfect you know on paper and then to have these people that are just like no it's just this stark black and white you know um with you know so there's some subtlety there but yeah it's just like yeah i was like i got i got to figure out how to do this you know <laughs> and, and yeah that's kind of like where my art took a turn well, I've got to say, I mean, I, I recognized your art for something that I thought was like a kindred because I love that genre of comic book, of sci-fi, of uh, manga. It, it just, uh, when I saw it, I think that's the best thing I would ever say to anybody. You see art as an NFT that you love, that's what you go with. And you just sort of, that's probably the best kick that you can get is when you are able, and I love the fact that I can interact and I love to that. I can sort of see your eye oh, yeah. and interact with it. And like to you, I can mess it in like sort of, that was the thing that really got me. So I'd really encourage people to take a look, but I thought you had a good variety as well from both this sort of comic book style, but you also like to do some sort of portrait styles. I know you had some shop fronts, I think as well. And yeah. some, some scenes that you'd created, which were all really, really beautiful. Thank you. So yeah, I mean, totally <laughs> check out Brandon's work and we will at the end put some links so you can see the types of stuff. So. You've that little kid trying to do Rembrandt and like yeah, Da Vinci yeah, and stuff exactly, like that. Yeah. Um, then Mental. you found comic books. You're like, yes, <laughs> yeah. it's crazy, right? Left turn. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> like Marvel. Like, yeah. no joke. I, I, um, growing up, you know, all through elementary school, you know, like grade school, I was going to Saturday classes at the local college to do still life drawings and stuff like that with charcoal and and things like that, and you know. Uh, just that turn like it could like it couldn't be more different you know and then it's just like my parents were always very encouraging but i'm sure they were just like i don't know like he just like literally overnight just wanted to start using like ink and you know <laughs> that kind of thing it was it was no longer copying photographs and stuff yeah it's nuts i think this is where i want to go from here with you is that you, you've got this like style, you're a UX user experience right. designer. So you're doing this sort of traditional web work, designing apps and flow, but you've got in you this sort of latent artist who like wants to, loves yeah. drawing stuff. <laughs> you've then found a way to get it out to the world. So you're just sort of drawing. And then what happens like from there, you've sort of just put it up online and tell us about that moment and the first moments where someone buys it. Yeah. So, I mean, like, it's it's kind of like the very similar thing of uh i mean not to like the best like analogy i guess i can give is like comparing it to like an athlete you know you know you've seen these athletes and you kind of see them at the peak of their you know what they're able to do for, you know in front of an audience and stuff like that and i would say for me it was kind of the same way like i been drawing my entire life you know even though i'm in a nine to five job in between every meeting and stuff like that i just have tons of post-it notes around me just with little sketches you know like always have a sketchbook on me but yeah i mean i've tried 
the Instagram hustle of, you know, getting on Instagram, posting every day and, you know, stuff like that. And that stuff can be discouraging if you're not kind of like have some kind of mental fortitude, you know, and you realize it's not about you. It's maybe just about the people that, you know, you haven't found the right people that, you know, appreciate the stuff that you're working on. So I've been doing that for years and yeah, literally I had what a two week break essentially around the holidays um, for like around Christmas and things like that. And to be honest, I had actually started the the Dream City like a, about a month or two uh, in advance. But I was like, I felt still disconnected. It's very hard to like, I don't know, connect with people under the guise of a brand, even if it is an NFT project, right? So um, instead of starting a new Twitter account, I just went back to like my main account and started posting artwork, you know, and started connecting to people that I had already kind of been talking to in the space from the Dream City account. And, uh, I posted, uh, this is very silly of me, but I did it anyways. And I was just like, I'm just going to post something. I'm going to put it on uh, Olaplex and see if it sells. It didn't. I, I didn't advertise it. I didn't do anything. It was very dumb. <laughs> um, so I guess like if you're going to do this, be ready to like market yourself and sell yourself. But I would say I got, I got incredibly lucky and somebody, Crypto Magellan, his uh, Twitter handle, he's kind of a, I would say it's influencer ish i don't know uh but he he messaged me and said hey do a little marketing but post that work again I, i'm very interested you know uh, i'm an interested buyer and so i was like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna instead of posting one i'm gonna post three you know um and and did that and of course like when you say three this is three three one of ones three one of ones okay so this is like you've just yeah created a, an image a picture and you've just put three out and now you're trying to market it again so you've got market here okay thank you so just... yeah and so now i'm putting it up for a 24-hour auction you know uh, i'm i'm like trying to get it out in, fr in front of as many people as humanly possible and you know I, one of the things i think that can be challenging for this space is at least everybody that I've talked to, every collector that I've talked to is they're not just buying the art, they're buying you as well. So they're investing in the person and they want to know a little bit about you and they want to know what they're getting into. And, you know, if you think of it, I guess, from an entrepreneurial uh, standpoint and a business standpoint, that makes a lot of sense. You know, they want to know that you're not just going to sell them a piece of art and then, I don't know, go buy a video game and call it a day. You know, they want to know that you're going to be doing this months from now years from now you know that kind of thing so i would say if there's any advice like even beyond like mastering technical ability be ready to just talk about uh your art yourself and you know uh let people know what your intentions are i would say mm, brilliant and then you're being very um <laughs> humble here to also talk about the success you had then because <laughs> you put your three pieces up but you've actually had some success, man. So you'd actually sold as well. Because I think when I, I saw you pop onto my radar as you were bought by um, Soul Big Brain Gallery, yes. right? That, yeah. He's quite a big buyer, uh, Soul Big Brain in the, in yeah. the scene. <laughs> you got bought by that. That was quite a moment, right? To be added to it that was. collection. So um, Yeah, the, the collection that uh, Big Brain Gallery bought into was a collection called Immortal Song. It's uh, originally planned for seven pieces. And really, it's kind of like... I'm always interested, in, obviously, in Japanese culture and stuff like that, but uh, specifically some of the history that I started reading about was around these gangs that formed kind of like, I don't know, they're not nice people. First of all, they're called uh, Kabukimono or the crazy ones, and they are very flamboyant and, you know, they, they wear kimonos and things like that and just 
have these very exaggerated, you know, swords or weapons, and they would literally just test them on townspeople to see, like, you know, how sharp they were and stuff like that. So there's kind of like this brutal aspect to it. But I, I've always liked this idea of, like, fascinating characters that you probably shouldn't love. You know, people like Han Solo. You know, <laughs> like, like the dude is a smuggler, but he has some like redeeming qualities about him and you can't like help but be like that guy's interesting you know like let's <laughs> let's let's explore that and so yeah that the whole thing is uh the collection is called immortal song and it's this family of kabukimono gang members that are very questionable <laughs> you know uh in their character but they're just they're very interesting and it was a way to explore some of those bright colors and things like that you know coming from a primarily black and white uh, um, art style and and uh, yeah i think the very first piece in that that collection sold for about 20 solana which is around 2000 uh, usd fantastic what a moment right to be able to sell yeah how did you feel with that is this the moment when you're you're effectively feeling like <laughs> wow i'm actually uh, uh i mean you've been doing this for a hobby and then all of a sudden you're actually getting right yeah bought. and and this is the first time you've had art bought brandon or is this the first time you put it out there this whole journey is the first time I've actually like sold like art and yeah, even that word, I don't know, uh, I should probably talk to a therapist about it, but that, that word of art and artist, like, is very weird for me. I've always just said, I'm not an artist. I'm like an illustrator, you know, you are an artist, Brandon, you're officially <laughs> an artist. Like, I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> it's happened. I sold art. So now it's true. <laughs> Um, but yeah, you're allowed it's, to be tortured. Uh, you're allowed to drink. <laughs> exactly. So many things. I, oh man, I can do all this now. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. Like, I mean, the first three pieces that sold, I was was just blown away. Like, it's very hard to explain that something that you've made people like go beyond appreciating it to the point where they want to own it mm. that's a very different feeling to explore and then once that happens a few times it's still i don't know you, you still kind of like think it, there's still that imposter syndrome right there's still that like eh, they just haven't caught on to me yet you know they haven't caught on to my, all my tricks and and things like that and um <laughs> i was talking i was talking to like a friend right and they were just like so you're telling me you've been drawing your entire life and so you've been tricking people for almost 30 years so you're either the best con man in the world or you're an artist <laughs> <laughs> and i was like okay that's fair that's mm. totally fair um and yeah that's mm. it, it's it's a lot to unpack sometimes because for creative people that hustle as hard as you know they can and they're not getting the traction that they want i think creative people will i don't know they're not people pleasers but at the same time once they get a little bit of validation um or they get that feedback that they've been looking for you know people can take advantage of that and they'll say you know i'll throw you 50 bucks if you do this illustration and people will be like yeah absolutely you know just because they love to do it you know but when somebody goes out of their way to buy a piece of artwork yeah it's it's a different feeling than when somebody commissions you to, to do something because it's kind of like, I don't know, they're buying a piece of you essentially kind of like something you've put your heart into or, you know, your soul into if that's, if that's your belief. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a very strange feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I've heard it said with regards to art that, you know, art is effectively 
something that's our greatest vulnerability because it's something that we care about incredibly. And um, oh yeah, for sure. And I can imagine for you as you release these creations that you have, it's a type of vulnerability to who you are and what you've created. And in that vulnerability, yeah, there's a lot of emotions that are associated with it. I can certainly say, look, I mean, I. I'm I'm one of those guys, a forty year old man who also likes to write poetry. So <laughs> right. you know, it's it. <laughs> it's you know, yeah, I, I know I do. And I, I even I've even on a previous shows I've, you know, introduced the show with poetry because I felt like actually going to that point of vulnerability, that place of discomfort was actually really important for me to show that it's okay, actually. And you're right, it, it does open up like our whole world of like internal conversations about who you are and the narrative and what the, what that means and so i'm so glad that you've been able to to show yourself that you can and yeah. you are an artist and you've been <laughs> able to do that and so you've been down that road now of being recognized for your your one of ones and your limited releases and this type of art that you've created and now though you've taken like you know as many might think you might just sort of ride that wave <laughs> and sort of just do that stuff but but no, you decided <laughs> to get on a different wave. And uh, you've decided to go down the road of the, well, I'm going to let you describe what is Dream City, yeah, because yeah, no this is how I also then became aware of this project. I got really excited watching go from one of one to Dream City, which is a traditional, should we call it traditional NFT launch, one of many. Yeah. Yeah. You tell us what it is, Brandon, go for it. Man. Yeah. So yeah, no problem. Um, so it's what you would call a PFP project, which is a profile picture. You know, you use these images on Twitter or discord or whatever. Uh, you know, it's, it's essentially what it is, but yeah, this was kind of a jump into generative art, which is a way of saying I put the pieces in and the computer outputs the final art. I think that's kind of the the easiest way to explain it. So to dig a little bit deeper on that, for Dream City specifically, they are character profiles, um, portraits, which are literally, you know, head on what you would think of a portrait that you would, you know, get from any photographer. But there's all these adornments and pieces to them. So different hairstyles, different eyes. I mean, I went down to different pupils in the eyes for these. So not only different colors, but different pupil styles, different lips, different noses, all kinds of things. And then on top of that, all the different, you know, pieces of clothing or masks and stuff like that. And so literally you take all these layers and you put it into a computer program, which is typically called a generator, an art generator. And it combines all of the different like permutations of those layers into like flat files. And, and that's kind of the, the final output of those. So I think initially I had tested a bunch of different like run sizes of how many of these different versions I could make. And I think, I don't know, I was up to around 5,000 different variations that were still getting like unique pieces, but for the final output of what we wanted to do for the project was 2,222. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a very different way of of thinking about art. <laughs> mm. So to create this generative art, you effectively have to create enough variable components that can then be like randomly picked by a piece of computer software, the generator, right. which then constructs a PFP, a little profile picture, which can be unique. And they have different rarities based on 
a random algorithm for choosing yeah the components which get put together yeah yeah if you yeah if you want to go a level deeper you can assign those rarities so i can say i want red hair to be a one percent rarity within this group and you know like you can create subsets of those so like the subsets that we did is we want it to be very inclusive um, so we literally did a split of, you know, 50% men and 50% women, you know, of all different kind of ethnicities and things like that. But literally that was an, an, an assignment. An, another type of rarity is like, you know, figuring out how to split those 50% and then down through those different kind of like characteristics, assigning those. So there's a giant spreadsheet that we have, and it's literally has all of that information in it um, down to like why we're choosing uh, certain things. So a ton of care and thought that goes into these. So when you say we, let's unpick that as well, because you've gone from the guy just scribbling stuff down on your own. I say scribbling down. <laughs> you've been just like doing your artwork on your own, living the artist's dream, um, being the tortured artist. <laughs> um, and now there is the we. There's like, right. you've actually got like a whole group of friends together to do this, right? There's a whole team of people, you know, so tell us about that. Yeah. So this is the group that is working on the Dream City Project. We've all been friends for decades um and it's a shame to say that this is the first time we've all worked together on a creative project which is nuts you know you think we would have done this a lot sooner but i think um in terms of talent and interest this project and just nfts in general have kind of like created this venn diagram where it's like we finally all kind of overlap you know and it's like oh this could be a really a fun thing to do yeah, so it's it's uh, five of us, or well, six of us now. So, um, you know, different people just kind of taking different roles from like an advisor role, art role, lore writing, uh, which you've, you've seen also like social marketing, mm. uh, development, all kinds of things. And so there's a lot of like kind of overlap in what each of us do, but one each one of us has kind of like our own role and we try to stay in those lanes but you know just in the spirit of collaboration we definitely you know will kind of like be like hey i could just do this i can jump in i can do that like i mean i do like a little bit of everything because of my experience I, i'm able to kind of help with marketing i'm able to help with development sometimes while still doing the art and you know uh building the community and things like that so yeah, it's it's a ton of work. It's essentially like starting a business, to be honest. You're you're building a product and a business, and yeah, there's a lot that comes with that. It totally is like running a business. That's my observation, because I think people think that yeah, you just create an NFT, right? <laughs> like a, a generative art collection, and maybe it's like one thousand, two thousand, three thousand. It's like you just do it, you release it, and you're done. But no, it's um, it really isn't like that. It really has struck me looking at it that it is a business, and it's. It's almost like when you've created it, then it's like you've got an obligation to the community to try and keep it going, right? And you have almost like a, a never-ending cycle of you know needing to try and develop the concept. And I can imagine that's both exciting, but also daunting, you know, in terms of the process, because you put like this ton of effort into this spreadsheet, for example, in trying to put together like nuances of characters and, you know, kind of shadings and colors of skin and eyes and everything else. And then you sort of release it to the world with a view that you don't quite know what you're going to do next with it, right? I mean, because yeah. it's an iterative process. Is that correct? I mean, is that like kind of how it goes and you've launched it and now it's like, well, tell us about that process. Yeah, yeah. I would say that's semi-accurate. Like you have like 
some ideas. And at least for us, like one of the things that we were really focused on was bringing value to the community. So, and we wanted to work with the community to be able to, to do that. So we didn't necessarily want to be like, we're making a video game. Like none of us have experience in making video games. So, you know, like why promise mm -hmm. that, you know, there's, I think there's a lot of projects and things like that. And this isn't to like throw shade at any of them or anything. I think most of these people probably have, you know, best intentions and things like that. But for us, we focused more on what we could do than what we wanted to do. So, you know, looking at things like comics and looking at things like websites or mobile apps, like that's our day job. So, you know, of course, those are things that we can potentially provide and, and build and not feel like, oh man, we have to get like a ton of like outside resources or like, this is where all the money is coming from, from like kind of, if you look at that initial mint or initial sell uh, of uh, PFPs as kind of like your like series one, like funding or, you know, something like that, where you're essentially getting capital to be able to build the rest of the, the things that you want to build. So yeah, a lot of that came down to like, what can we build and what sounds interesting to the community that we have and, um, you know, just playing to our strengths more than like trying to be overly ambitious and, you know, over-promising and then under-delivering things. Yeah, you're right. And I think I, I maybe mischaracterized the way that you approached Dream City because <laughs> you did have a very clear roadmap. And I think that's one of the reasons I was drawn. So let me, let me tell you from my expert and the people listening to this is that yeah. I saw your one of ones. I really love them. I, I missed out on buying one and I wanted to buy one. And then there's some more coming up, which is great. And then I got connected and, you know, you go through the world of discord and I knew that you, then you announced you're going to launch the project. And then you have a roadmap. Like a lot of NFT projects, they have a roadmap. So you go onto the website and they can say, you know, phase one, phase two, phase three, what we're looking to achieve. And it was a bit of background about the law of Dream City. And that gave me, as a interested buyer of NFT art, I was like, okay, cool. There's actually a team here. You were what we call doxxed. That means that you were putting your name out there. You were an official human being. You weren't <laughs> doing this fully synonymously. Um, <laughs> and um, that also drew me in. And then you can join the Discord. And then the Discord, then you can start talking about it. But so the good is that, you know, you're able to create this. You had a group of like really professional friends. You're obviously a professional artist. And we can say that now. <laughs> um, and um, you had a really cool idea. This is like this sort of a a cyberpunk sort of style artwork, which I, again, I was really drawn to because I love Neil Stevenson and his work and, and all of the range of cyberpunk stuff, which I know we've spoken about. And so I was drawn in. So we talked about the good. You've got it up. You've got it launched. You've grown some amazing art. You've got your PFPs. You've hit mint day. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about the bad and the ugly of it, right? So what have you found out about this, like sharing with it? Because it's not all been a bed of roses, right, my friend? Oh, that's definitely not. I think any like worthy endeavor never is, right? Like it's it can't all be good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It, yeah. You know, even with art, there are It's a boring story, isn't it? If it's yeah. all good. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I nailed it. What else do you need to know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. We definitely did not nail it. So yeah, our first, our mint and, to, you know, to preface this, we always knew that the mint was going to be the, the so-called easy part. We knew like once that happened, like the, you know, quote unquote, real work was going to begin. That's kind of like when we had to start delivering stuff. Mm. Yeah. It's a weird time on Solana, um, for NFT projects and slow mints and not selling out our thing right now, you know, and we've decided to reopen our mint, but the reason we decided that to reopen was because 
yeah, we were we were selling real slow. Um, our velocity was not like what we wanted it to be. It was underperforming, like compared to I guess this is going to be a weird thing to say. Like it was underperforming compared to what we estimated based on what we had seen in previous projects, right? Of like similar size and what they were developing, um, just from like research. So yeah, we made the decision like. I don't know. There's maybe like 12 hours left. We were like, let's just shut it down. Uh, let's shut the mint down. Let's turn it off, you know, and kind of like regroup. And this is coming from a place of the day of the mint. Um, I'm sure probably we, we talked at some point, but I was running on minimal sleep. You know, I, I'm burning the candle at both ends kind of situation. I'm emotionally tired. I am just, you know, even my wife is just like, I think you just need a, a day, you know, like I can, I can see the burnout on the horizon, you know, like it's going to come to that and you're just going to crash. And essentially that's what happened. You know, uh, the day of the mint, you know, made some poor decisions out of just pure exhaustion, you know, and when we shut down the mint, my wife even came and she's like, do you feel good about that? And I was like, I don't know how I feel about that, to be honest. Like I'm so just physically, emotionally, you know, intellectually drained at this point. Like, I don't know. I, I really just want to sleep, you know, <laughs> like I just want to recover. And, uh, yeah, so we took a couple days as a team, uh, to like kind of regroup and the entire time trying to stay in constant contact with the community and let them know kind of our thoughts and how we're feeling and kind of what the next steps would be. So yeah, it's, it can be anybody who's launching an NFT project, I would say it's it's very similar to a business because I've had small studios in the past that I've helped, you know, um, start up and things like that. And a lot of my background is up in the startup like fintech and sure tech space. So I understand the sacrifices that people are making to launch their dream, you know, and the name Dream City for the project is not a mistake. It's exactly kind of like it's on it's hitting the nail on the head. It's it is a dream, you know, and uh yeah, it, it can be brutal. You know, <laughs> it's it's definitely not a, a bed of roses all the time there. You know, you sometimes hit the thorns that are in there as well. So, yeah, it, it can be a crazy wild ride. But I think what we discovered coming out of that was like we just needed to stop comparing ourselves to other projects. We've always said that we were going to do things differently. So let's do them differently. Let's do them our way, you know, and I think not only has that helped with the kind of like mental, you know, emotional aspects of it, but it also, I think helps just show the community, like what we're thinking and the time we're thinking it, you know, and just being open to keeping that open, transparent line of communication with them and, and letting them know, you know, like, this is where we're at. This is what we're trying. If you disagree, let us know. Like, uh, I think we're probably one of the few projects that offered a refund, you know, we're like, we understand if you're not happy with this, we're going to offer you a refund if you would like it and keep the NFT, you know, our bad, you know, we, we kind of like made our, our, I don't know if they would call it mistake, but you know, we kind of goofed along the way and yeah, just this one's on us. Hopefully, hopefully you'll come back. You know, that, that was kind of the thinking along that, that line. Did anybody take you up on the, um, on the refund? Uh, four people, <laughs> which <laughs> I totally respect, you know, like, well, here's the thing too, is, uh, when we were talking amongst ourselves, like in the team, we're a very empathetic group of people. And we realized like 0.5 and 0.75 Solana is, you know, at the time of Mint was probably around 50 to 70 bucks, right? Like 70 USD. And I was like, 
that could be somebody's groceries, you know, for that week. That could be they're spending something that they've worked very hard potentially to, you know, to get. And if we're not able to deliver exactly what they want on this, I'm more than willing to give them back that money because they may need it for, you know, something else. Well, and that, if anything, when I saw you do that, it made me like think this is even more a project that I want to be involved in and support you guys. Because I, I think your honesty and your vulnerability is one of the things that I really love about the whole Dream City process. Because, yeah, you know, it's always been about, from what I've seen personally as an excited as the art and about having fun. And what we haven't talked about is the U word, which is, <laughs> you know, utility, which everybody yeah. talks about in NFT world. It's like, what is the utility of this art? Is it a game? You know, is it staking? Is it just art? Yeah. You know, and, and what, what, you know, all of the weird and wonderful ways it's, I mean, there's ones in, there's DeFi now, access to DeFi. There's many, many ways that people seem to say, well, this project, you buy the, the NFT and you spend this money and the utility of it is this. What I loved about it in a way, and I, I reason I supported you is because it's just art and it's like, it's art. So we sort of, we're having fun. That's the point. It's like, that is the point. Right. <laughs> that is the utility is the fun of yeah, it. Right. Yeah. And the creativity, but that's hard one to sell to people. Isn't it sometimes where maybe they're in it for a different reason? Yeah. I think to your point, yeah. A lot of people are in, into NFTs to make money at the end of the day, you know, it's an investment and they want a return on their investment. And that's a hard thing to promise somebody. And so the way I've always thought about it is, yeah, it, it is art, you know, and to me, art is the oldest investment you can make. And if it's not a monetary investment, it's an investment in something that you enjoy and something that you like. And just to further kind of talk about that, look at the pandemic, you know, a lot of people survived on Netflix, on reading, on comic books, film, all of these things are art, you know, at the end of the day. It's so to me, it's, it's the oldest form of entertainment. It's the, it's like, it's what makes us human essentially, you know, like stories and art are, are those things, creativity. And yeah, I think if you're looking for like a quick flip or something, we're probably not the right project, but I will say. In the short term, the things that we're looking at from an art perspective and being art focused is being able to deliver value on that. So kind of putting my one of one career, so to speak, on the line and being able to say, you know, like worst case scenario, and this is something that we, we did already is airdropped NFTs of like a limited edition of a hundred to the people that initially minted with us. So we have seen people sell those. Um, and it is like a black and white piece that I had created early on when I was concepting Dream City work. And yeah, we've seen people like start selling those on secondary markets. So at the end of the day, some people are already making some of their money back from art. You know, it's not, it's not a, a staking. It's not yeah. a token, you know, in the traditional sense. Yeah. It's, it's very different. And yeah, when we started seeing that, I was like, okay, well, like we're heading down the path that we wanted to, and it's working. Yeah, absolutely. And I hold one of those as well. You um, airdrop one of those. So I feel very lucky to have received one of those. And um, I really like it as well. So yeah, I haven't, I haven't sold it. Um, <laughs> it's not, wasn't, wasn't one of me. But I, I think this is actually a really interesting point for people to hear, though, because, you know, I've been observing it as an interested sort of outsider to the whole NFT market generally. And I think maybe what people, if they're listening to this, need to maybe understand about the sort of the crypto Twitter and the crazy world of NFTs is this, my observation is it's mostly men 
um, a lot of men involved. And yes. I think you did take a very courageous step to be actually inclusive of women and men and make it 50-50. And I've observed like even female artists, particularly, not perform as well. Yes. And I've often wondered actually if the market is so heavily male skewed at the moment and still kind of immature in that way, not entirely representative of the wider community, that some of the artists who do try and be more representative of the real world are actually suffering a bit from that. But I still think it's the right thing to do. But yeah, and it's something that I've observed. And I, I wonder what your thoughts are on that and if that's something you've reflected on. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the the things that are going into this project too are, are things that uh, my friend group you know, have realized within ourselves. So the fact that my friend who is like Puerto Rican can see somebody that, you know, potentially represents him in a project is crazy. I, you know, like, and I think that's a risk. A lot of people weren't really, I don't know, I wouldn't say not willing to take, but let's just say there's a lot of reasons why most of the PFP projects are animals. It's hard to say like, oh, that animal is black white hispanic you know so on and so forth versus it's a duck you know <laughs> like what it will <laughs> that's an easy it way be to be green kind of, right so yeah, it doesn't really, yeah exactly yeah it's an easy way to circumvent <laughs> that you know so yeah i kind of knew out of the gate that that was potentially going to be a risk you know but i also thought everything we're thinking about is like long term so from a long term perspective i think of a lot of this as Dungeons and Dragons, it's a, a way to like embody a character and stuff like that. And especially some of the people that are writing lore and things like that, they're really embodying those characters. And I mean, at the end of the day, like I'm not saying buy more to get the character you want, but once the mint finishes and things like that, we want to be able to use tools where people will be able to trade these and get the characters that they find themselves embodying more. And yeah, some of that, I mean, there's even a non-binary what we call lieutenant, which is like a one of one within the generative collection. So we're trying to be like absolutely inclusive as possible. Our kind of main lore writer, you know, like I would say I'm like the creative director in terms of like, I kind of help steer the story and things like that. But our, our main lore writer, she is a huge sci-fi fan and, you know, she is helping craft this world that, you know, she kind of sees missing from the sci-fi that she was reading growing up and, and things like that. And yeah, I think it's a, a huge opportunity to create a world where everybody kind of feels welcome and is able to kind of play out some of those really fun scenarios in this cyberpunk setting. And, and really, I'm trying to think of the best way to put it, but like cyberpunk is just the theme. And when we think about stories, uh, we think of that as like anthologies, right? Like you could create a horror story within a cyberpunk setting, right? You could create a thriller, you could create, you know, an action scene and, and stuff like that. And really just Dream City is the backdrop. So once you have these characters, you could decide what type of story you want to tell um, or kind of like what genre, I guess, like or subgenre that you would want to explore within the subset of Dream City. And that's something that we're really exploring. It's beautiful. And I, and I say to my own, I'm really excited to hear that because I grew up in that age where, you know, you could have the book and you could say, you know, do you go down the stairs, turn to page 100 and you have to turn to one page 100 or, or you play the video games where, you know, you're the, you know, do you open the door or do you not? And I love that exploration literature. And I, I see, you know, my own point of view, investing in Dream City, I see it like that. I see it like I'm investing in 
I can early book. Yeah. Like I'm investing in an artist and a team who are trying to create stories. And I love stories and I love sci-fi and I love artwork. So for me, it's kind of like a bit of a, you know, guilty pleasure where I can just sort of come along, you know, help invest in your energy and your time and your art and you know, be involved a bit as well, which is fantastic. So I can recommend to everybody to come and check you out. I think you guys are one of the very serious projects that are around in NFT world. If people are listening to this and want to come along and see, you know, where this is at, you can find Dream City on Discord, right? That's main place. Mm -hmm. And also on Twitter. And we'll make sure we put your name and link to everything in the show notes. And um, yeah, I mean, do you have any other sort of suggestions? I mean, in your own words, what, what if people are interested, what they should come and do? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that we've strived to do is like uh, as a mission is and i hope this is kind of what you felt when you initially joined the discord is we wanted people to feel like you know because we've all been friends for a decade plus when they join feel the same way like we're just going to be welcoming and we're just going to bring you in as if you've been you know in that friend group with us the entire time you know and it's kind of like there's no no bad ideas there's no stupid questions or anything like that we're just gonna welcome everybody with open arms and uh if you're there to to want to create or have questions or anything like that like we'd love to have you that's beautiful what a beautiful place to leave it i don't think we could have said it any better and um brandon you know i've really enjoyed the energy you've put together in the community i think you generally have a real community it may not be the biggest one on right. uh, in discord <laughs> may not be one of the biggest projects but I'm telling you, the genuine welcomeness, the sort of the values, the integrity, the sort of the kindness just sort of really is, is clearly there. And and the artwork is kick-ass. So, <laughs> you know, what is there not to like about this? So I hope people do come and discover Dream City. I want to say thank you, man, for taking the time to introduce us to your work, to like the crazy ass world of NFTs. Yeah. And um, yeah, may you keep going, man. And uh yeah, let's let's enjoy the hero's journey that you're on and uh, see what happens. Awesome. Yeah, thanks so much for putting this together. And yeah, it's been a pleasure. Nice one. Thank you so much. Be well. So if you enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe or leave a review on wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us. So thank you very much. We also have a newsletter on our website, talentequals.com, so you can keep up to date with all of the things we're doing here at Talent Equals and the amazing guests that we have coming up this year.